All right, if you have your Bibles, if you'll please take them. And kids, you are dismissed to head back to Children's Chapel. Isn't it amazing? We start out life crying, not wanting to go to a class. And then we all individually drive here to church because now we desire it in our adult life. I mean, just think about that, that parable there. You know, now we, we know it's rough. Sometimes toddler class just isn't all what it's made out to be, right, in nursery. <laughs> Are you thankful you have the Word? So let's take our Bible. This is my Bible, God's holy Word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. If you would, please turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. And that will be our text this morning in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to open it up because I'm going to read it from a few different texts here this morning. Just because I love the, the correlation uh, and the, the narrative between all three. Today's message is called Strengthening Your Grip Before a Crisis. Church, we've, we've experienced a, a crisis here at our church just this week. And yesterday, Pat was outside and he came in and he said, my heart's bothering me. And it, it was just beating at a rapid speed. And so, um, many of you know Pat, he's one of our deacons here. And so I immediately... I, I had my phone and I called 911. We called the ambulance before, I mean, I, they even picked up the phone. He was over here in the back laying on there, then laying on the floor, and he just couldn't get, he couldn't find peace at all. And so uh, the ambulance came, the squad came, and they rushed him off to Akron General Hospital. And he's there this morning, so keep him in your prayers. Uh, he has uh, a disease, the same disease that his daughter Allie deals with, uh, which is uh, the... SVT, thank you, and uh, ventricular irregularity of, you know, tachycardia and all that fancy stuff I can't pronounce. But anyhow, so please be in prayer, and I'm, I'm thankful that he was fine and went there last evening, I mean, yesterday afternoon in between uh, the chili cook-off, and then even uh, called him last night on my way home. So uh, that was a crisis, and then also last evening, please be in prayer for the Johnsons and the Katopkas. As uh, Tiffany was here, and they've already lost two babies. She lost her first. Then they had little Emmy, who's here today with Grandpa and Grandma Emerson. And then they lost another child. And then last evening here at our church, she miscarried. And so, um, you know, it's, it made me start thinking some things. And the quietness of my home last night, I started reflecting back on, you know, where do we find strength in the midst of our crisis? Where do we find strength in the midst of all the adversity that comes in life? You know, when you're a little child, I never understood, you know, we, we don't like it when mom and dad say no to us. And we didn't like that harsh um, punishment that we received for doing some of the things that we, we did or we've done. And yet we needed that punishment. And that punishment was for our good because that's love. What I didn't realize even as a child I mean, as you guys know, I have a twin sister, and even out of the two spankings that I got out of the 400 she got, those two were rough. I'm just telling you. 
Oh, okay. And uh, so it, it was a crisis in my life at that time. But, you know, when I look back over my life, I think to myself, I'm like, you know, that was big for me. It was, that was difficult for me. You know, my mom said, oh, Todd, when I would spank you, and uh, those were the days when you spanked on the bottom, and, and it didn't kill me. I'm still here up here. I'm going to be 50 April 3rd, and I'm not dead. And uh, we've taken away punishing, and I'm not talking abusing. I'm talking punishment, discipline. And what it does is it refines us to grow stronger and to strengthen our grip for life. Because when you're a child, you don't realize what you're about to face. The choices you're about to face. And mom and dad always helped us. You know, so we face some crisis even as teenagers, as young, as young adults. But the reality of it is, mom and dad came right in because they love you. They were there to protect you. And that's just like Jesus Christ. He becomes the father to the fatherless. And yet, we have crisis in our life and things become very, very difficult in our life. So the question is, how do we strengthen that? We're here today because we want to be poured into. We need that love and that encouragement. And yet, you know, we, we understand that if you go through your life, not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. I love in that song it says, I don't want to go back to the beginning, but it was right in the middle is where you met me. Right in the middle where I finally realized that I was enough because I found Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now I can move forward. We've lived a life of, you know, why did this happen to me? And why do I feel this way? And I'm just discouraged. And, and the addictions that overtook me and the consequences of my addiction or my habit or my hang-up or whatever. The hurt, you know, death is difficult. Last night, and for some of you, maybe this is somewhat distasteful, but when my wife showed me that little baby, a little baby, listen, 12 weeks 12 weeks old was that little baby i'm here to tell everybody abortion is wrong we have got to fight against it and you know here we are in the presidential candidate and i don't only get up and even talk about government but let's let's be real here thou shall not commit murder my wife looked right at me last night and i told her this morning i said this has just been stirring in my head when they showed me that little baby back there in that room, you know what I thought to myself? She goes, Todd, I want you to look at something. Look at this baby's fingers and toes. It was a child. And when they say you can carry a baby full term and it's okay, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? I'm going to tell you this and I'm not saying it in a, in a slang way. To hell with that thinking. Because... The Bible says that that child was formed fearfully and wonderfully made, that that's a masterpiece, and, and that's God. In His divine glory, the Father... I'm here to tell you, the Lord is in this place. And he has used my mic as a sense of contention when I get up here and speak. And here it died on me again. I think my batteries are dead. And so, I'm just going to keep on preaching because 
the Lord is in this place. And uh, let me just do this real quick. Okay. Thank you, love of my life. So I'm a, I'll put it to you this way. Crisis is going to come. Things are going to happen. Hardships are going to take place. The Bible says that we will experience life as we will experience death. And it's not easy. For some of you that that have gone through recovery, and you know what it was like when you were incarcerated, you know the difficulties of that, you then realize that the only strength that I have is me and these four walls and this Bible that sits right here in this room, and His name is Jesus. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And so right now, I am, I am experiencing and, and uh, enjoying, hold on just a minute. Thank you. Thank you, honey. Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord was in this place, and there's batteries in this place. (laughs) I'm talking about a man who was incarcerated, and his name is Paul. Here was a man who met the Holy Spirit on the road to Damascus, found a Savior that saved him, blinded him. He was faced with a crisis that was so difficult. And in that crisis, he went on to the city and was blind until he came upon a man who was able to say, you know what, at this time you now can see. So the man who used to persecute Christians was now a man who was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, saying, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. In Ephesians chapter 1, all the way up to Ephesians chapter 3, Paul starts to talk about his journey in the jail cell. And in this journey, he starts to, to experience really the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that he already experienced him on the road to Damascus. God blinded him. He experienced him in his fullness and then took the scales off of his eyes and was able to see. Here's the parallel to this. In his crisis, he cried out to God. And in his crisis, he prayed, God, I need your help. I'll do whatever it takes. Not for a minute was I forsaken because the Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. I'm not going back to the beginning 
because it was right here, right in the middle that I found the Lord in this place. Paul said that. And what he was saying is, listen, I can't do anything on my own. In my weakness, I know He makes me strong. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, who died for us, who gave us life. But church, we can never get better from our bitterness if we're not in the Word of God, if we're not in prayer, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to, to encompass who we are, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, to give us power as the Scriptures have to say. Pastor, where are you going with this? That we all face crisis. Things don't go our way. And when they don't go our way, man, we act like a baby. We kick and scream. We grab our bottle and our, our binky and our blankie. And we go off in the corner and we cry. But hold on just a minute. But just a few miles back, you felt the Lord right in the middle of your journey. And now that you're facing crisis again, you think he has forgotten who you are. Well, guess what, church? He knows your name. The Bible says he knows the very hairs on your head. He loves you. He cares for you. You are of value to him. That is such a great thought for me. But we have to put to practice strengthening through our crisis. We have to put to practice prayer. We have to put to practice coming, being a part of His Word, of His lifestyle, of His character. There's four things that I'm going to go over shortly this morning. The prayer for strengthening. The result of strengthening. The reason for strengthening. And the power for strengthening. There was a Danish philosopher, Søren. He used to tell a parable. It was the story of a community of ducks. Maybe some of you have heard it, but each Sunday they waddled off to duck church to hear the duck preacher. The duck preacher spoke eloquently of how God had given the ducks wings with which to fly. With these wings, there was nowhere the ducks could not go. There was no God-given task the ducks could not accomplish. With those wings, they could soar into the presence of God Himself. Shouts of amen were quacked throughout the duck congregation. At the conclusion of the service, the ducks left, all of them commenting on what a wonderful message they had heard. And each one of them waddled back home. I knew it would take you some time. He talked about they have wings to fly. If they soar, they can fly. They can go higher than they've ever gone before. And they said, what a great message. And they waddled back home. <laughs> Did you get it? Okay, great. Listen closely. It's not just the acquisition of truth that counts. It's also the application of truth that matters. The Apostle Paul wants these Christians in Ephesus to change. He wants them to become stronger, to be strengthened in their faith. God wants them and us to know that they and you have strength. We can feel so weak in our Christian walk, but God wants them and you to know the strength that is accessible to you. Then in Ephesians chapter 3, 
Verses 14 through 16, it says this, And for this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with the might by His Spirit in the inner man. Let me just show you right here. It says here, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your your inner being. See, there was a pastor who had a parrot. All the parrot would say was, Let's pray! Let's pray! The pastor tried to teach him to say other things, but to no avail. All the parrot would say, was let's pray, let's pray. Then the pastor learned that one of his deacons also had a parrot. Only the deacon's parrot would only ever say, let's kiss, let's kiss. So the pastor decided to invite the deacon and his parrot over to his house. They put the parrots into the same cage to see what would happen. Later on in the day, the two men went to listen to the parrots. The deacon's parrot continued to say, let's kiss, let's kiss. And the pastor's parrot said, thank you, Lord, my prayers have been answered. (laughs) Now watch this correlation. The apostle Paul returns to his prayer for these Christians. And he mentions it over here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 and 19. And it says here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 and 19, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Then it continues at 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power. And he picks up the thread again in this section. Here's the question. If I were to ask you, what are the top three prayers on your prayer list right now? Do you pray? Do you have a prayer time? Are you challenged? Are you strengthened through the communication and the prayer that you have? Perhaps for you, some of your prayer time is for someone's healing or maybe a friend's salvation. Maybe a marriage is struggling. Too often when it comes to my own prayers, most of them enter on things I want God to do for me. I tend to ask God to make my life easier to take away my problems. Of course, I also pray for friends, for the congregation, for my family. That God would provide for them and help them through their own struggles and trials. See, these kind of prayers aren't wrong. Because God wants us to cry out for His help. Through prayer is certainly not less than this. It can also be so much more. In these verses, the Apostle Paul shared some things on his prayer list. It says here he prayed specifically for the churches he planted and the ones that he visited. His prayer for these Christians is that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit and in the inner being. Paul prays that God would strengthen these Christians with power. But notice that the goal is not physical strength, but it's spiritual strength. Now, if I asked Jerry to come up here, and he and I would do push-ups, we would do one-handed push-ups, I would have to show him up, but I won't do that today. (laughs) Mobility class is all about what? Strengthening your core. 
Suck your belly in. Stand tall. Grip the ground. Squeeze your glutes. That's your buttocks. That's what, anyhow. Every time he says glutes, I'm like, what's a glute? Anyhow, so this is what we do. And I'm already starting to get flabby because I've missed the last two weeks. See how that works? Mobility class is about strengthening our core, strengthening our physical being. But the Apostle Paul prays that God would strengthen these Christians with power. But notice that the goal is not physical strength, but spiritual strength. It is the inner being that Paul prays that God will strengthen. He is praying that God would would make them spiritually strong. You see, it says literally in the Greek, it says the inner man needs to be strengthened. Note this, Paul prays for one thing and one thing only in this prayer. He asks God to strengthen the Ephesians by the Holy Spirit on the inside so that they can fulfill God's will for them. Though this prayer has many parts and builds to a big climax, there is only one basic request. So, so keep that in mind as we look at these verses together. Here's the question. How can we be so sure that there is only one basic request? Because the answer is found in verse 13. And here's what it says in Ephesians 3, verse 13. Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. It says, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. See, just before prayer begins, the apostle writes here, don't be discouraged. It can also be translated, do not lose heart or do not give up. You see, church, so many things sap our strength. So many things get us discouraged where we lose our hope and crisis makes us lose hope in everything. So many things sap our strength, kind of like discouraging circumstances. Monotonous routines, physical weakness, personal failure, unwanted interruptions, unfinished responsibilities, unresolved conflicts. I like this illustration. Any one of these... Things could hit us like a boxer's blow and knock us down to the canvas. Like a combination of punches. Often two or three of those things hit us at the same time. And we were knocked off the floor, knocked off our feet. Our strength is gone. It's a sad sight to see whose legs have gone after he has been hit powerfully. When a boxer has been hit so powerfully, his legs don't hit first. We find it hard to get up and get back into the fight. I know that our enemy is after us to discourage us, to make us weak in our spiritual walk, to make us weak in our physical walk. Church, I am here to tell you, when you lose one hour of sleep, it messes with you. I'm all messed up. Remember the song, Tiptoe through the tulip. That's how I felt last night. I'll tell you why. So I, I went to bed. The house is quiet. The bedroom door is open. My wife is beautifully sleeping in my bed, in our lovely bed. And I go in the room, and I look at the clock, and I went, oh, no. Now, 
Many of you know that I have a mental clock. I don't, I haven't since I was a teenager ever woke up by a clock. But so I, I thought, well, I'm going to go in there and change my clock because my digital clock next to my bed was still an hour behind. And so I had to tell my mind, listen closely, start programming that this is not the time. It's not 11.04, it's 12.04. But I didn't want to, to go in there because, you know, the, the radio clocks. Yes, maybe I'm behind in the times, but I still have my digital radio clock. We don't listen to the radio or anything on there. I don't even know if it works. But I like the red numbers that are on there because I always look at the time. But you remember that the, the radios where you have to push on the button and it goes... But you have to change it one at a time. So it goes click, 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 click. Well, I knew that Becky was just snoring so beautifully. No, she wasn't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that she was now she's looking at me like, what are you talking about, Willis? And uh, that, that it was so quiet in the room, I thought to myself, as I heard the song, tiptoe, I'm thinking, I can't do this right now. Guess what happened? Three times from 12.04 till 5 o'clock this morning. I kept looking at the clock. So my, my whole night it was interrupted because I'm like, and then I'm telling myself, you know how you're halfway in, halfway out? I'm thinking, okay, so I'm going to try real hard to make sure that I don't believe that this clock is the right time because if that's the case, they won't have a preacher up there tomorrow preaching. So the whole time I'm, you know, you're doing one of these things and I'm just not resting and you're just physically tired you start to lose heart and yet i always love that when i become physically exhausted and tired debbie says to me last night preacher can i put in a request and i said what is that and she said can we just please sing some upbeat fast music tomorrow it has been a very very long day and i said we got you covered and, and, and so we realize that that physical exhaustion affects our spiritual life because we're not as strong as we should be. We have to be very careful because in First Peter it says that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking about whom he may devour. And he will find you at your weakest when you least expect it. And he will come in and he will grab a hold of you. You won't know what just took place. So it's important to make sure that we are strong. And I understand that we start to lose heart. We realize that when we are weak, we need to be strong. And we need to take prayer to heart. It's in those times when we're mentally, emotionally, and physically exhausted that instead of throwing in the towel, we cry out to God him in prayer and that's really what he was saying and and, you know i love what paul was saying and if you guys have never really studied ephesians i love it because paul's saying there's no difference between the jew and the gentile that jesus christ came and that he died and that each and every one of you are the same you all have an inheritance you are all special to god and he cares for you he loves you point number two the result of strengthening so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and i pray that you being rooted and established in love Verse 17, the result of strengthening. There was a little girl asked her mom what a saint was. So her mom decided to take her to the local Anglican church so she could look at the pictures of saints in the stained glass windows. It was a really sunny day, as such like today is, and the beams of light brightly shone through the windows. When the little girl saw this, she shouted loudly, Now I know what saints are, mom! 
Does that sound English enough? I'm just checking. They are people who let the light shine through. What a great visual for a child. What a great answer from a little girl. Others should see the light of Christ in the life of a Christian. Christ dwelling in us is a metaphor. The physical person of Jesus is not actually living inside every Christian. And I'm sure that each and every one of you realize that. When we invite Christ to take up residence in our lives through conversion, the Bible says he comes to dwell in us by his spirit. That is the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, which actually means an interpreted guest. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached the very first Christian sermon, at the end of it, the people cried out, What must we do to be saved? And Peter replied in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied and said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly how a person is saved. He becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. One, first you must repent. Turn away from the things we know are wrong in our life. Second, believe that forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ alone. Three, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when we have done those three steps, fourth, we should show we have trusted Christ for salvation by being baptism. Now, don't misinterpret this. Baptism is not essential to salvation, but it's not an optional extra either. This letter was written to those who had already done this. They have been converted. They have become followers of Jesus. And the apostle uses this metaphor, this picture of Christ as the center of our lives. He should be the one controlling our lives and changing our lives. When we allow him to do this, we will experience his strengthening, his power in our lives. Here's a story. Shortly after joining the Navy, a new recruit asked his officer for a pass so he could attend a wedding. So what did the officer do? He gave him a pass, but informed the young man he would have to be back by 7 p.m. Sunday. The young recruit replied, you don't understand, sir. I'm in the wedding. And so the officer shot back and said, no, you don't understand. You're in the Navy. Watch the correlation. When we become followers of Jesus, like that man, we are putting our lives into the hands of someone else. We're turning our lives over. Someone else makes the choices of where we go and what we do. Now in the Navy, you do not have any choice. But as followers of Jesus, we can choose to obey, to do our own thing. So the Apostle Paul says, when we make Christ the center of our lives, we say yes to Christ. When we say, your will be done, not mine, it will stabilize your life. It causes us to grow roots to be able to withstand the storms of life. Notice in verse 17 the two images that Paul uses to communicate this idea. He says, being rooted. This word picture brings to mind an agricultural image. You will be stabilized in your life like a strong tree rooted into the ground. Think about a tree sway back and forth. They can be battered by strong winds and those trees still stand. At times some trees will, will shallow or little roots are blown over. But a tree with good roots will do what? Will stand tall. It is able to withstand any force that comes against them. Being grounded or established. See, this word picture brings to mind an architectural image. You will be like a powerful building properly established. I love this. According to a San Diego website, listen closely, about 35 earthquakes are reported every day there. 
That's 12,000 to 14,000 earthquakes per year. For many of you, if you are going to San Diego, I'm sorry to share that news if you're planning a holiday there this spring and summer. But just remember this. I guess most of them are unnoticed or just tremors. But every so often, a big earthquake comes along. A man who lived in San Diego said he always found it humorous that when an earthquake would hit and the tourists were interviewed by the media, they would always mention how this tall hotel building was shaking and swaying. The reason he found it amusing was that that is how the building was properly and purposely built. If the building did not sway like it was built to do, it would have collapsed. It was grounded and it was established to survive even an earthquake. Built properly and being rooted properly, buildings and trees are prepared to handle even the toughest external forces. In the same way, our foundation is the love of God. We are rooted and grounded what? In love. Think back to the first three chapters of this letter. And I'm going to do this quickly because of time. The apostle has painted an amazing picture of God's love for his people. He chose us. He predestined us. He adopted us, inherited us, blessed us, saved us, reconciled us, and then he strengthens us. When you appreciate that God has done all that for you, it will help you to give a good foundation for life and for death. Number three, two more points and we'll, we'll conclude. Verse 18 says, They have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses the knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Why do we need this strength? And see, here's how Paul explains this, and I want your undivided attention. When we cross a busy street with a small child, we put our hand out and say, hold on tight, right? And the small child grasps your hand. If it is a busy road and cars are zooming by, they grasp it as tightly as they can. They know they are safe when they are holding on to your hand. That is the idea behind the Greek word translated here as grasp. The idea of grasping and holding on to something. Now there is a sense in which all Christians experience the love of Christ, but love itself has many dimensions. And here's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. I pray that you may grow in your daily experience of the love of Jesus. He didn't say once a month, once a year, every other day. He said your daily experience. May I encourage you to daily find a way to embrace the love of Christ. Most of us know this and we went through it. My wife and I are, are 28 years I just brought this up when we were going over 1 Corinthians 13 on Friday night to all the couples. When we first got, got together, oh, the love, the tingles, and all the special, was there. But what I've loved about as I've grown deeper in love with my wife and the years that we have together, the deeper that love is the stronger we become the more grounded, the more rooted. She knows the depth, the breadth, the width, the height of my love for her. And I know her for me. That is the same illustration here that we start to notice that the Apostle Paul is taking. He's talking about love growing strong and not becoming stale. So he wants to, for all of us to experience the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth 
of God's love. He even wants us to experience the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Verse 19, it says Christ's love is immeasurable. Christ's love is incalculable. The love of Christ is so vast that we cannot begin to comprehend it. I'm going to go ahead and start to close down my message here. And as I close, I want you to to really go back to this text here where it says, For God's holy people, listen closely, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep, what is the breadth, the width, the height, and depth of God's love. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. See, the early church took the description of love as a sign of the cross. What the Apostle Paul describes by the words breadth and length and height and depth, the early church took this as a sign of the cross. Watch the visual. The breadth and length stood for the crossbar on which the arms of Christ were nailed. The height and depth stood for the vertical place or piece to which His legs were nailed. When I look at this and I I think of the appropriate image, because nowhere is the love of Christ more clearly seen than at the cross where Jesus died for us, where there is hope. I love what Dr. W.A. Criswell said using John chapter 3, verse 16. We know the verse. He liked to talk about God's love in four dimensions. Watch. For God so loved the world, that was the breadth that He included you. That He gave His Son, that was the length He sent Jesus to die for you. Should not perish, that's the depth. He reached down for you so that you would have everlasting life. The height, He lifts you up to heaven. Christ's love is broader than the universe, longer than time, higher than hope, deeper than death. And as we are strengthened by the Spirit on the inside, we will come to a new comprehension of His love for us. And then we notice the power for His strengthening. In verses 20 and 21, it says, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The answer to this prayer is not up to us. It's up to God. That is why we have this magnificent doxology that concludes this prayer. We can't. We are weak. Because He can. He is God Almighty. No, God is able to do because He is not idle or inactive or dead. God can do what we ask because He hears us when we pray. He can do what we think because He knows what we think even before we think it. He can do all we ask or think because He knows it all and can do it all. He could do more than we ask or think because His plans are bigger than our plans. He could do much more than we ask or think because there's no holding back with God. He can do exceedingly, abundantly beyond what we can imagine because He is the God of the highest quality or degree. That's our God. There's power in His name. I'm going to leave you with this story. About a missionary 
Herbert Jackson. He was assigned a car that would not start without a push. After pondering his problem, he devised a plan. He went to the school near his home and got permission to take some children out of class and had them push his car. As he made his rounds, he would either park on a hill or leave the engine running. He used this ingenious procedure for over two years. Ill health forced the Jackson family to leave their post and make plans to return home. So a new missionary ends up showing up there at the station. When Jackson proudly began to explain his arrangement for getting the car started, the new man began looking under the hood. Before the explanation was complete, the new missionary interpreted, Dr. Jackson, the only trouble that you have here is the loose cable. He gave the cable a twist, stepped into the car, and turned on the ignition. And to Jackson's astonishment, the engine roared to life. For two years, needless trouble had become routine. The power was there all the time. Only a loose connection kept Jackson from putting that power to work. What's, what's the illustration here? The prayer of the Apostle Paul is don't lose a loose connection. Keep you from putting God's power to work in your life. All too often our focus is on our problems, our crisis, when it ought to be on God. And if you look at your own weakness, the logical conclusion will be discouragement, doubt, and frustration. But if you focus on His unlimited power, you will find faith and hope in spite of your circumstances. So church, please remember, He is able to strengthen us when we are weak. He's able to answer far more than we ask. He's able to hear our faintest cry. He is able to lift our burdens in the times of crisis. He's able to guide us when we have lost our way. And He is the way maker. He's the miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. He is light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. And so church, today, as we leave here, let's remember that there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. So I want you to look to the person next to you and say, you've got the power. We just need to walk in the Spirit, the indwelling Spirit of Almighty God. Let's all stand as we pray. Father, we love You and we just thank You that today we can come before You knowing that in our weakness You make us strong knowing that just like a a mic without batteries, we have no sound. So it reminds me, without You, we have no light. Without Your power, we have no gospel. So as that little girl said, Oh, I see who the saints are. They're the ones that show the love of Christ. Oh, God, help us to let our light shine before men that they may see the good works in us. Oh, God, that you would be glorified above all. So, God, we thank you that today we've all faced crisis. We've had some some situations even this weekend, some hardships. And the loss of a newborn baby. 
Oh, but God, as I pondered in the quietness of my house last evening, I thought how glorious it must have been when you came and you stood next to Tiffany and you took back what you created. Oh God, we know that we have an appointment and we know that that in it there's so much hardship. Death is not easy. Death is an unavoidable and inevitable. Oh God, we need your strength and we need your help. So God, when we walk away today, let us maybe this week bask in your word. Know the importance of I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. So God, I pray for your church and your people that we will all just turn our hearts towards you, towards home. Lord, give us the power. Give us the strength when we feel like we can't do it to rely on you, to be codependent on you to let go, to never go back to the beginning, but to continue to seek your face, to seek your will, and to seek your guidance. So, Father, we trust in you. We love you. Thank you, God, for strengthening me in the face of my crisis. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.